Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the most fascinating and really the most helpful leaders in the business community from all over our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business. And yes, you, you doubtless are just a fabulous gentleman or lady of business all by yourself. But what about your prime asset? Those individuals who shoulder to shoulder labor right along with you in the trenches and who really are the raging fire that causes your business to either flare forward or drop to a mere ember. What are you doing now to forge your team into an A-plus performing unit? What should you be doing? Well, by the great good graces of the God conditions and very clever planning on Bart's part, we have sitting right here the justifiably noted and cogent Ms. Whitney Johnson, uh, co-founder of the Disruptive Foundation, a wise lady who uh, <clears throat> has been noted as one of the top influential managerial thinkers by uh, Fortune and by Thinkers 50, a Wall Street wizardess, uh, many things, including host of Disrupt Yourself Radio, and most recently author of her latest guide, Building Your A-Team. Play to people's strengths and leave them up the learning curve. So consider your good fortune as you sit at Whitney's feet and learn the disruptive way to build yours into the very model of a modern major performing business team. And whether you are a CEO of a large paper goods manufacturing firm, always trying to mold your executives into a fast-forward engine like George, or you're a successful seminar speaker seeking to gather uh, your fellows into sort of launching a national business solutions company like Laura. Pull up your chair a little closer and join us in this feast of wisdom, all carefully cuisined, to make your careers thrive and your adventures flourish. Whitney, I'm so glad that you've been able to set down your prolific pen and uh, Take us to the anvil and hammer out a new better business team for us. Well, thank you for having me, Bart. I'm I'm delighted to be here. Oh, good. I'm so glad that you could make it on this lovely day. Whitney, getting right into it, uh, I, I've got to say, the term disruptive is swiftly replacing leadership as the current should-do term of choice in all the business seminars and consulting. But, but in the case of Ms. Whitney Johnson, it really does mean something very specific. So could you define what disruptive means what, or what it means to be beneficially disruptive for an individual and for a company? Yeah, you're right. We do hear that term a lot. And depending on who you're talking to, it means something very different. I mean, when you were in school and you were in third grade and you got sent to the principal's office, you were being disruptive. But that, and that, you know, and that could have boded well. Um, so in this particular situation or context, it's a silly little thing that takes over the world. Um, think mm-hmm. about, for example, how the telephone disrupted the telegraph, the light bulb, the gas lamp. We saw the car disrupt the horse and buggy, and then more recently, things like Toyota. It upended General Motors, and now Tesla's upending General Motors. Netflix, Blockbuster, and something like an an Uber with the, the cabs or taxis. And so if you think about disruption, it actually follows a framework. The disruptor, it secures a foothold at the low end of the market. Initially, its products are inferior, its positions weak, like General Motors, of course. They could have 
squash. Made by the oh, cars, yeah. made by the Japanese. Yes, right, exactly. Exactly. They could have, but they didn't because it was a silly little thing. And why don't we just focus on bigger, faster, better, and produce these Cadillacs? And so the bad news, or basically the way the framework of disruption goes, is that that low-end disruptor was also motivated to do bigger, faster, better, and create Lexus. And so that's how the framework works. Well, personal disruption and the big aha that I had as we were applying this framework to investing is how do you take all of these ideas and make them meaningful to you? And again, at its simplest, you start at the bottom of a ladder, you climb to the top, and then you jump to the bottom of a new ladder like the children's game shoots and ladders. Right, right. Okay, I like that. And the one thing that I think we all should remember is when we climb to the top of that 300-foot ladder, you look down, and this is your chance before you make the leap, uh, is that you've got a chance for perspective. So every time you get up and you take that overview, before you're ready to leap on the next thing that's shiny, take a look, uh, get some perspective about what's been and what is. Excellent. Uh, Now, Whitney, you... Talk about the S-curve of learning that, that you put out, and, and I, I like this because you wisely apply it, not just to business, but to all our learning lives. And it's a, it's a process by which people move from inexperience through engagement onto mastery. And uh, could, could you just uh, give us an example of this one? So, say I am uh, a new employee. I'm just entering a marketing firm as a copywriter. Run me quickly through inexperience, engagement, and mastery. Yeah, great question. Okay, so for for all your listeners, picture an S, and at the bottom of an S, every time you start a new job, you're not going to really know what you're doing. So that's the area of inexperience, and you're typically there for about six months. And then as you put in the effort, you move into the sweet spot where you're there for one to two, maybe three years, and that's the period of high engagement. And I'll give you a practical example in just a minute. And at the top of the curve is mastery, where you know exactly what you're doing, but because you're no longer enjoying the feel-good effects of learning, you can actually get bored. And so, um, as you said just a moment ago, yes, you've got perspective, but if you stay there too long in that air above the, you know, where you can't necessarily (laughs) breathe, you can also die. And so you've got to jump to a new curve and start that process all over again. Yeah, so it's this whole idea of disrupt yourself. Now, practical example, you said. All right, so you interview for a job. You've majored in English or journalism. You know how to write, but you don't necessarily know how to write copy. So when this person first starts in in your organization, you have a conversation with them. And your first week, you have this conversation, and you ask them things like, or you tell them, first of all, what your company is trying to get done. Like, what's the purpose? What's the raison d'etre of this company or this organization? Oh, Second thing good. you good want point. to talk with them about is what is your team trying to get done? And how does your team help your company get done what it's trying to do? Because oftentimes people don't have any context, and when they have context, they're much more um, able to really plug in and, and, and feel engaged in the process. The third question you want to do is, why are you here? Why? What are you hoping to accomplish over the next two to three years? And the reason you can ask that is because you recognize and because you're about to explain to them what the learning curve is and that they're now at the low end of the curve and they're going to feel frustrated most nights when they go go home and you, the boss, are someday going to wonder why you hired them because they don't know what they're doing either. But as you start to explain that to them, okay, you're going to be on this learning curve for three 
maybe four years. After that, it will be time for you to jump to a new curve, maybe with me, maybe somewhere in the department, maybe with a client, maybe with a vendor. But what is it that you're hoping to accomplish? What dream are you bringing to work in wanting to work for me? Next step is you've explained the learning curve. Now you want some short-term goals. Give them one or two projects, very short-term, like first week, clearly, clearly scoped. Now it's more work for you to scope it out because our tendency is just just go figure it out. Well, early on, you need to be prepared to explain. And if you're not good at explaining, then find someone who is good at explaining because some people are better at that than the others. Second, or not second, next step is, People, who do they need to meet? There are people inside of their organization or your organization that your people that are new hires, they need to know those people in order to get anything done. Because half right. of doing a good job is knowing how to do it, and the other half, if not more, is knowing the people who will help you make that happen. And so part of early onboarding at the loan of the curve is to meet people. One more thing at the loan, right. and then I'll go through the sweet spot in the high end quickly. Um, Two months in, at most, you want to sit down with them and say, okay, you've had fresh eyes. You've observed all sorts of things here. I understand that you have known what you were doing, but in the con- as a consequence, you've also been able to say, why are we doing it like we're doing it? And so we want to know what you've seen. What have you observed? What could we do differently? And that insight is crucial to your ability to be innovative over the long term is to get that fresh perspective from your new hires. So that's the low end of the curve. Right. Now, six months to a year, you're going to go into the sweet spot where you know enough but not too much. This is the time <laughs> where they are good at what they're doing. You're starting to think this person's a high potential. This is precisely the time where you need to give them friction. You need to give them challenges. You need to give them stretch assignments. The other day I had a person say to me, so-and-so, she is so good. I'll call her Susan. That's not her name. She's so good. I'm like, well, are you pushing her? And he's like, well, maybe not. Give them stretch mm-hmm. assignments because we know from the law of physics, in order to climb that curve, because now you're on the steep part of that S, to climb that right. curve, you need friction. And that friction comes in the form of challenges and stretch assignments. And don't forget to appreciate them. They're not a problem, child. Everything is working. Don't make them one by ignoring them. Right. And then the last thing you want to do is once it gets to the top of the curve, They have been in this role for three years, maybe four, provided that you've hired them at the low end. Maybe it's shorter if you hired them in the sweet spot. You want to say to them, you understand the curve. I need you to finish strong. I need you to help train people who are coming up the curve. And then I will come to your aid. A, applaud what you've done. I, identify your next curve. And D, most importantly, you as a manager will deliver on helping them do something new. Okay. I, I think that's very good. You rolled us out through all of it. And I, one of the things I I'd, I'd like, I hope that you all caught through uh, Whitney's explanation here was that through it all, there's not a, there was not a, a whiff of either condescension or hierarchy or rank. There was never any point of you're starting out, you are here, you are placed, and there was never any of the we-they condescension, the team versus you. And that's very important. From the very first moment that you ask, uh, this is what we want, what do you want, it is as if you were sitting down over lunch with a friend, and that is Excellent, and uh, I hope uh, I hope everyone caught that because she, Whitney, is uh, has thought this through very very carefully. Uh, 
If you've just joined us, you are listening to The Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. streams magically through the enigmatically elusive realms of cyberspace, where you may listen and download this and all our episodes by visiting theartoftheceo.com. We are on several radio stations and a whole host of uh, odd streaming things, but uh, the easiest way to find us is just to go to theartoftheceo.com. Now, Whitney, if I may, I would like to, uh, I, I, in your book, I've looked at the learning curve, follow what you've written about it, and I, I'd like to, to put a little tail, if uh, I disruptively may. And when you get into <laughs> mastery, most of the masters that, I, that I've met in, in all fields, they, they really revel in their mastery, and they become seized by that innate human ability to create, a la Michelangelo, and they move to a sharp, almost perpendicular learning career as, uh, as if increase of appetite did grow with what it feeds on. The expertise fuels interest. And uh, so I think people make these giant leaps, the, the masters do. Uh, would you agree or am I just sort of viewing mastery through my own rose-colored glasses? Um, I, I agree with you. I, I think I think I, where I would sort of pull apart some of the terms. So the way I would think about this is, people have said to me, "Well, so then we never want to be a master." And I think that's actually in some ways correct. And so let's bring it back down to the workplace or the everyday, because most of us aren't going to be, you know, Fortune 500 board chair Mike Marty. For example, um, so what I, I had a not too long ago a person say to me, "Well." You know, I've had this one person in this role. They've been here for like seven years, and they don't want to move along. Like they, they wanted to stay here. And my, my question was, well, are they, are they doing good work? And I said, yes. And do they enjoy their work? Yes. So my answer was, well, then that means they're still in the sweet spot. They haven't gotten to the high end of the curve because the high end of the curve is characterized by boredom. And I would argue that with these masters, these people with this deep, deep domain expertise, they're finding ways to elongate that sweet spot of the curve by finding new things to explore around those ideas. And so there's a curve within the curve that allows them to stay in that sweet spot indefinitely. And so, and you, you do find that with people who have to have deep domain expertise, whether they're you know, a neuroscientist or an aerospace engineer engineer. And so, um, and that, so the, the, the question is, is I think they would argue either because it's been imposed on them or they've imposed it on themselves. They've found ways where there's enough of a jumble of ideas and enough of not knowing what it is they're looking at or trying to figure it out that it still feels new and fresh for them. And so they're able, like I said, to elongate that sweet spot of the learning curve. I, I, I see what you're saying. I think, I think it's right. And I, I I noticed that in your book, your uh, primary solution to uh, giving the master new challenges was one of the bodhisattva, that is to take this man and, ha- and woman uh, or woman and have them turn back and uh, engage others to mentor others, to help bring them along and so forth, which I, I think was, was very interesting and very good. But I was wondering what, what I didn't read, and maybe I missed it, was that um, when you find mastery, you there is a goal. Uh, it seems to me what I would like to do is bring that uh, that person, uh, yes, as a mentor, but also as a corporate guide. There, uh, that is where the 
open up the whole doors of corporate governance to this person and say, all right, your uh, your ideas matter. They matter more now than ever that you are a master. Where do you think we should be going? And stretch, give them stretch assignments on in areas that are newer and broader and wider. Uh, good idea or not? Great idea. And we're actually, you, you've expanded on what I was saying. First of all, I love that word bodhisattva. I did not know that word. So thank you for teaching me a new word. Um, yeah, I, 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 what I would say is this is a both and. So on the one hand, you can act absolutely bring people along and so it's just a matter of sequence so for example when you get to the top of a new of a learning curve and you've got that perspective of six months to a year where you are getting ready to go do something new there is an opportunity for you in that place to bring people along and pull them up the learning curve that certainly does not preclude them from doing what you've just suggested which is jumping to a new curve and um, looking at instead of from a more narrow place, expanding out their view uh, again and saying, okay, how can we grow differently? How can governance look? And so for them, I would argue, yes, they're able to use their expertise, but you're putting them at the low end of a new learning curve because you're asking them to take everything that they know but tackle a very different problem. And to me, that's a new learning curve. So it's a matter of sequence or not even necessarily sequence. It can be a both and. But in their bringing people along, they also, because they know there's something new for them to jump to do, they're willing to bring people along. And then once they're there, they can find new clients, areas of expansion, et cetera, et cetera. That sounds great. Okay, good. I'm uh, glad we could see eye to eye on, on that. And, and actually, I think it's, I think you're right that, that either way, whether you're turning them back uh to bring to enlightenment those who are uh, new or whether they're uh, moving into a broader perspective, they are entering a new learning curve. That's great. And so after all this delightful noshing at today's Feast of Wisdom, uh, what do you think, Whitney? I think it's time to take a brief sorbet and allow me to proffer a few utensils for today's feast. And so the Sounds like a great idea. Oh, excellent. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. We're going to do this. We'll get, we'll, we will muddle through this. Uh, well, as a first utensil, uh, as I always do, um, allow me to remind that each, each one, one of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of chief executive officer of yourself. And since that's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, allow me to ask, will this be the day that you push back scrutinize that that project at hand and assemble the most effective emotions from your quiver to drive it creatively forward? Or will you continue to engage and labor with your soul in default mode? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And as a second utensil, I can sense your yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and take a scriptural recitation from the 102 best business quips books. And so let me muddle through here. Yes, here we go. Oh, okay, here we are. This is uh, number seven. This, this is appropriate. Our CEO says he believes in hiring people smarter than himself. Alas, in his case, it's impossible to do otherwise. So, <laughs> Whitney... This is one that my staff keeps saying about me. What do you think? Do you think they've got it right? (laughs) Well, if they've got it right, then that means you're actually both 
smart, you're actually smarter because you always want to hire people who are really good at things that you're not good at, right? Right. Absolutely. I, uh, you know, it's funny because my own afterthought on this was that you really don't have to know more physics than Einstein to make a group of physics researchers take wing. And uh, what you really need to do right. is is take some mastery of the skill. Uh, of the skills that you need for the firm to succeed and study those. Is that right? A hundred percent. Now, I mean, there is research that I cite in the book that you're better off if you know something about what the people are doing, but that's not always going to be possible. Um, but, you you know, if you hire people who just know everything you know, then you've hired a clone of you, and that serves no one. You know, we've we've seen things like we we've had presidencies like that. I've understand, but that was they were long ago. Um, and if you smirked a bit over that quip, we have them literally by the books full. Just visit bartsbooks.com and pick up your copy of 102 or 101 best business quips, and you will find your tongue tipped with mirth and wisdom, fresh all pulling out of your arsenal, alleviating the load of your fellow chain gangers at work. And as we move to our third utensil, uh, we sumptuously spoon you the answer of last week's business quotation. That is, the name of the individual who said, everyone's a millionaire where promises are concerned. Those words were spoken by none other than the sage and hilarious poet of uh, ancient Rome, Publius Ovidius Nasso, whom most of us know as Ovid. So congratulations to your winners, and stick with us, because later on in the show, blurting your way, comes another enriching quotation. And if you're among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be, and send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's info at bartsbooks.com. And if you're correct, your knowledge will earn you a soul-stirring gift, freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. So, uh, now, before we return to Whitney Johnson and her strategies helping us to play more profitably with others, allow me to introduce to you the company by whose good graces we're here today. And that firm is Prometheus Publishing, creator of, among many other divisions, Bart's Books Ultimate Business Guides. And you may visit bartsbooks.com and explore really a, a, a wide wealth of, of very solid wisdom from business masters. And today, folks, Prometheus invites you to take a look at one of its uh, new books, um, which batters down the walls, artificially separating business and the rest of your life, entitled CEO of Yourself. And this really is a gem of a guide. It gets down to the, the business of your more rewarding life. Uh, it asks, are, are you directing the enterprise of you or have you fallen into default mode? Is your governance, uh, that self-governance, bringing you that a more fulfilling life that you really just know is out there? Well, CEO of Yourself helps you discover those many marvelous assets and employ them toward goals that bring you a sense of mastery and a lot more fun. So, my friend... Fate may sit smilingly on your board chair, but you, as CEO, have the chances to make all the choices and make make, circ- make circumstance work for you. Uh, so you may pick up a copy of CEO of Yourself by visiting bartsbooks.com and carpet day, my friend, because you are indeed worth it. And with our utensils in hand, come... Uh, Turn your eager ears with mine back to Miss Whitney Johnson as she disrupts and remolds our perceptions on how we can transfer our coworkers into a well-oiled, fulfilling creative machine. So, 
Whitney, uh, I think we, we've got sort of the basic groundwork, and what I thought might be fun was if I could uh, come to you with some actual cases, case studies of, of individual individuals that we've run into, and we and you could tell us, uh, give us a bit of your your clever advice and advisors on how we can handle some of the uh, team player challenges that uh, that come to every manager. Does that sound like fun? Love it. Yeah, love it. Let's oh. do it. Okay. Number number one here, enter Maxine. Now, Maxine is, she is eager, she's brilliant, she is just one of these fountains of ideas. She'll joyously enter into every project, and, and she really has an agile brain that she sets to work and, and finds marvelous new ways to make things work smoother, better, and uh, communicate good points about the product to everyone. But... Ask her to give you a written report on that innovation or ask her, you know, to get together a strategy for the next meeting, and it just doesn't happen. So what does CEO Johnson do to encourage and get the best value out of a Maxine? Yeah, what a great question. Okay, so I'm going to um, make a couple of assumptions here. Is First of all, is that she reports directly to me. Um, so okay. that so you know that I asked her for this and that she reports to me. Okay, so um, this is going to be uh, CEO Johnson at her best, not her worst, because we all have our best <laughs> and our worst. So here's ideally what I would do. Um, the first thing I would do is uh, have a conversation with her and say, "Hey, Maxine, you know it's amazing to me. You are like." Like you just said, you're eager, you're brilliant, you are so excited and enthusiastic about every project that we're doing, and you've got these amazing ideas. And I've asked you to put them on paper, and you haven't put them on paper. And I, can you help me understand why? And see what she says. Okay. So, okay, so that's the first Excellent. thing I'm going to ask her. Now, now um, depending on what where we go, I think a couple of different things might come up is – she might say to me something like, well, I just don't think it's that important to do or some derivation of that. And, um, and then my response in that particular situation would be, well, part of your being able to get things done inside of this organization, this goes back to her having those initial early conversations, is your ability to get buy-in for your ideas, assuming that you really want to gain traction over time and you want to have real influence. And so part of being able to do that is to put your ideas in writing and to codify them and, to, and, to, and have them in such a way that people can – can understand them and um, you can socialize those ideas. And so that would, would be one place I would start. Another possibility would be is to try to figure out, is she, um, is she afraid? Actually, I remember a few years ago talking to one of my former clients when I was an equity analyst and he was a brilliant stock picker, but terrible, absolutely terrible at putting his ideas down on paper he just couldn't do it i think he was partly dyslexic and so far and they kept dinging him like you're not good you're not good and so he finally was able to have a conversation with him and say look i am really good at talking through my ideas but i can't put them on paper and so they were able to come to an agreement that he just wasn't good at that and in his particular case i think they finally gave him the latitude to just do it but i would say in her case because it sounds like she might be more junior is to team her with someone that is good at putting stuff down because maybe she's coming okay. up with ideas 
Maybe someone else on the team isn't, but they're great at putting stuff in paper and translating those ideas. So that would be another thing I would wonder. Um, a third thing, sure. and I've got two more, is is she just um, avoiding? She's new on the team, and sometimes when we're new on a team, we avoid doing the hard work, and so we just come up with ideas, and we're just avoiding what needs to be done, in which case I would tell her, sit down and do it because, you're bright in right. the future, but if you can't do this basic work, you just uh, got to get it done. Very thoroughly And then the put, fourth yeah. question, yeah, and then the, um, oh, <laughs> and then the fourth thing is, um, are you potentially just on the wrong curve? Um, maybe because mm. this job requires her to write things. Maybe she needs to, um, maybe you need to figure out somewhere else where ideation is more important and writing things down isn't. So that would be the fourth suggestion I would have. Excellent. Well done. What I love was that you didn't make one choice and say and come down like Zeus hurling a, a, a thunderbolt, with a fiat that says this is what we're going to do. You gave you you showed that you feel you felt your way through it. Excellent. Uh, unfortunately, we have we have I have many many more. <laughs> My life is filled with problem people. Anyway, but we'll, let's take another. Um, what about naked ambition? You've got two eager, very, very capable executives who labor mightily to fill the company coffers, but they labor, they labor even more mightily to get notice, to rise in their careers, and, and in your estimation, you're the boss over these two. Uh, and they, they slit each other's throat for a bonus. You know who I'm talking about. And if mm-hmm. so, is there a good way to mold this individual greed <laughs> into a more fulfilling team experience? Yeah, it's such a great question. Um, the, the, the thought that comes to my mind when you ask that is that this, this goes back to the theory of disruption, and I talk briefly about this in Build an A-Team, um, is the question of you're only able to really be disruptive if you find ways to take on market versus competitive risk. And we typically think about that in the case of a product, but sometimes it happens with people. And where we hire for a job, and we hire someone to do a job that someone else is actually doing. And so it sounds a little bit here like maybe these people are just completely cutthroat, but oftentimes when this kind of thing really comes to the fore and there's a lot of infighting, it's because there's not clear, a clear delineation of who has responsibility for what. And they feel oh. like they're both fighting over the same piece of pie. And so I think that Very while good. it's true that maybe um, they're – individuals that aren't going to work inside of your organization, I would take a step back and say, why is it that they are at each other's throats? And almost always when that happens, it's like two siblings. They feel like there's not enough love to go around. And if you can figure out a way to make sure that they each have their own place to play where no one else is playing, I think you'll be able to diffuse actually a lot of that. Excellent. I think that's a great one. Uh, Unfortunately, we are running out of time, but before we do, uh, Whitney, you are uh, you are the co-founder of the Disruptive Innovation uh, Foundation, and you are uh, and you produce uh, Disrupt Yourself podcast. So, uh, could you tell us how we could, uh, how I might possibly get some coaching from you, or if, if you do that, how I can find listen to your podcast, and of course, how can we uh, all get a good copy of your Build uh, an A-Team book. 
Um, well, the first thing you can do is you can go, yes, do all of those things. Um, yes, right now. So you can go to WhitneyJohnson.com forward slash A-Team and download the first chapter. And that will also direct you to how to get to my mailing list and listen to the podcast, et cetera. And then the book itself is um, available anywhere the books are sold. Um, if you're specifically interested in coaching, uh, you can email me at WJ at WhitneyJohnson.com. Okay, WJ at WhitneyJohnson.com. Thank you very much. And, Whitney, I hope you can come back. I have, as I said, we have this whole list of terrible problem people that it seems like only you can solve. You've done such a good job. So would you mind, I hope you wouldn't mind coming back again sometime. I would love to. Thank you. Okay, and thank you for coming on. It's been great. And today, as we uh, round out uh, our Feast of Wisdom, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's quotation, that is, who said, there's a silly notion that failure is not an option. Failure is always an option. If things are not failing, you're just not innovating enough. And as a hint to the author of this quote, this self-confessed video game junkie is the founder of SpaceX and product innovator of Tesla Inc. and a guide of true enlightenment in business. Uh, so if you know the author of this uh, quote, simply scribble that sage's name down and send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com and you will receive a career igniting gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And please stay tuned next week to the Art of the CEO Radio because come back because we are going to chat with Brian Greenberg, a wildly successful sales entrepreneur who by example, uh, has cuts through the acres of business advice chaff and moves into the real kernels of passive selling, a fascinating way to do things and a real treat. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, one determined person with great ambition can climb the highest mountain, but one compassionate person with all his supporters behind him can move it. And to you, gleefully sharing our feast, I hope you've enjoyed the art of the CEO as much as I've and Whitney have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember that you may download this on all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And finally, to you, who've honored us with your time, may I say, as always, it has been a privilege, and I thank you. <laughs>